0: What hour your clock strikes here? It's always Halloween, and I'm always your haunted host, Luce Tomlin Brenner. Welcome to Small Frights Friday. Each week I share a curated selection of calls from the All Hallows hotline and letters from the Eek mailbag. But before we dive into those, I have something to celebrate. We, It's Always Halloween, just hit 20 Patrons! Oh my goodness, 20 of you are funding two history episodes a month, or one history episode and three Small Frights episodes! Wow, that is so incredible! Thank you so much! I want to welcome our two newest Patreon Ghoul Gang members, Natasha Donahue and Sadie Fisher! So thank you, Natasha, Sadie, and the entire ghoul gang for ensuring this podcast gets to stay independent, ad-free, and sustainable. We have our bi-monthly Patreon movie night and discussion coming up this Sunday, February 21st at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. That's LA time here. <laughs> we'll be watching a witchy movie as February is the month that the Salem witch trial started in 1692. As of this recording, subscribers are still voting on which witch we want to watch. So be sure to check our Instagram page at It's Always Halloween Podcast for more specifics. If you want to join us for movie nights, ghost stories, and more, you can subscribe and support the podcast at patreon.com slash it's always Halloween. There's a link in the show notes and on Instagram as well. Ghoul Gang member Elisa wrote in and suggested a tip jar for people who want to support the podcast with a one-time donation. And I love that idea. So starting now, you can donate to the podcast in any amount, through Venmo using our podcast email. It's always halloweenpodcast at gmail.com. I recently got some really cool holographic vinyl stickers of our podcast art by Rose Fedick. and they're great for cars, laptops, water bottles, you name it. So if you donate $10 or more on Venmo, I'll send you a personalized Halloween thank you card with our brand new sticker. I've had a lot of people asking about merch um, beyond just uh, stickers and pins. So I am looking into the possibility of getting screen printed t-shirts to complement what is currently available in our Red Bubble shop. These would be handmade here in Los Angeles and then I would mail them out to you. So I would take a pre-order for those um, and you'd pay for them ahead of time and it would cover, it'd be like a cost between like $20 and $30, which would include shipping. So again, I'm still pricing out options. I want to go with a artist run screen printing shop here in LA. So I'm just looking at ones I think would be a good fit for us. If that is something you would be interested in, let me know. I'm just taking the temperature on it right now and seeing if that's something people would like. Okay. So I think that about takes care of everything here in the business crypt. Let's uh, walk out amongst the living, shall we? Uh, The very same Elisa, who had this great tip jar idea, also called in to tell us a fascinating effigy mound story. So uh, let's hear from her now. Hi, Elisa. It's Elisa. I was
1: inspired to call uh, from listening to the latest Small Frights episode where you talked about, uh, Butte de Mort um, in Wisconsin and the Indigenous Burial Mound. Um, I wanted to talk to you about Peebles, Ohio, which is in southwest Ohio, very, very small town. Um, I used to actually have a friend from there, and her full time job before she left was as an organist at exorcism. In fact, she claimed that Peebles was Um, had more exorcisms per capita than any other city in the country. So exorcisms are a full-time business out there. Um, One of her theories as to why there are so many is because the town's main drinking water source is a natural spring that flows out of the serpent mound that is located there. Um, The serpent mound is an effigy mound uh, it does not have any people or artifacts in it at all. It's just um, the world's longest serpent mound. There's other mounds that are serpent-shaped throughout the world, but this one is the longest at about 1,500 feet. Um, so it's a mound that's about three feet high um, in the shape of a snake with a coiled tail, and its head uh, is an, has an open mouth and an egg inside of it. Um, one of the fascinating things about this uh, burial mound is that it was built um, by the Adena culture. It has also been theorized that it was built by uh, the Fort Ancient culture, but the Adena culture seems more likely, uh, around 320 B.C. Um, and it is built on top of a meteor impact site. So when they have done soil samples, they've seen that there's strata of earth inside of it that should normally be much further down that have been disturbed and lifted up. So an, an impact, uh, a meter impact hit the area. Um, and then this mound was built on top of it. And the mound is actually significant in that it represents all of the astrological knowledge of that culture. So the head of the snake with the, with the egg in the mouth Is perfectly aligned with the summer solstice, um, sunset, I believe. And the coils of the tail are aligned with winter solstice and the curves of the snake line up with various lunar phases, um, of the year. So I, I love that mound. It's there. It's fascinating if you want to learn more about it. Um, anyway, people, there's a, there's a natural spring that runs out of the mound um runs through the mound rather and that's where everybody in Peebles gets their drinking water. And I have drank that water and I did not go crazy um, and I didn't get possessed, I think. Um, but Peebles is a town that is struggling. So if you live in the area, I would highly recommend uh giving a visit to the mound, um, checking out the gold star or sorry, the White Star Diner. Um, and maybe camping, um, renting a cabin and just hanging out. There's a lot of cool history in the little town. So anyway, I love the podcast and can't wait to listen
0: to future episodes. Bye. Wow. Elisa, that story had everything. Thank you so much. Uh, the Snake Mound in Ohio is absolutely gorgeous. I have seen it before. Uh, when I was a little kid, we visited it. I'd love to see it as an adult, where I think I have a little more context and appreciation for such things. Uh, I will. You can find pictures of it online. I'll also post some to our Instagram. Like Elisa said, this is an effigy mound, which is a mound in the shape of an animal. I'm not sure. I spoke about them briefly on last week's Episode The Outcast Dead, but I'm not sure if I made that clear. So effigy mounds are in the shapes of animals. They're not burial mounds. Burial mounds are what they sound like, but they're separate, separate things. Um, so this snake mound is an effigy mound, but nearby there are three burial mounds, two created by the Adena culture that Elisa spoke of, uh, who uh, existed between 800 BCE and 100 CE. That's uh, BCE, again, is before Common Era, and CE is Common Era. And uh, the other burial mound is by the Fort Ancient Culture, which is CE 1000 to 1650. So I'm... I gotta, I'm gotta. i thinking about everything you said in this story, and there is a lot to pick apart. Uh, I'm really hung up on this person who plays the organ for exorcisms, as I did not know that exorcisms needed musical accompaniment, and I'm shocked that she does this full-time. I have struggled for years trying to <laughs> nail down full-time work. This woman has a full-time job just doing the musical background for exorcisms which should not be a thing in the year 2021 oh boy exorcisms in real life not in movies but real life exorcisms they bring up a lot of feelings and red flags for me i don't want to get into uh religion too much on the podcast so i will just note that real-life exorcisms have been linked to countless numbers of child abuse cases as well as deaths of people of all ages, Um, sleep paralysis, psychosis, uh, schizophrenia, hearing voices. These have all been attributed to possessions uh, when we know scientifically that they are medical and mental health concerns that we can treat or support non-invasively. So I think it's Uh, I think exorcisms are really dangerous and it freaks me out a lot, not in a fun way, but in like a, can we please uh, take care of each other and our community differently kind of way. Um, I think it's really interesting that this person is linking exorcisms to this ancient native site, which is one of the crustiest horror tropes around, the cursed Native American burial ground. This first came to our pop culture consciousness when the Amityville Horror was published in 1977. Then it was adapted into a film in 1979, which then spawned a whopping 22 sequels. Absolutely wild. When we talk about franchises, I don't think people are thinking about the Amityville Horror, but this one that kicked off like, ooh, scary, Native Americans were buried here. It has 22. There's 23 Amityville movies. It's insane. So the trope was then later used in Kubrick's adaptation of The Shining, Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, the book, and then the uh, three film adaptations that came after that, as well as the 2003 psychological horror movie Identity, and 2012's Silent Hill Revelations. I'm sure uh, many TV shows as well. I know off the top of my head Buffy. And supernatural definitely had episodes about uh, Indian burial grounds, and uh, it's just disturbing that this isn't just a crusty horror trope, which is what I tend to think of it as, but that this is that people are still thinking of Native lands as being the source of some type of bad energy that needs to be exorcised. Um, Native activist and writer Terry Jean has um, written about five possible theories why the Indian Burial Ground, or IBG, is a common trope and why it's utilized so often in horror. Uh, I thought these were really interesting, so I'm going to go through these with you. Uh, The IBG plotline worked out in one movie, so it'll work in others. So it gets written in because it sells. Number two, graveyards are well-marked while an IBG could be anywhere. This allows for endless possibilities without explanation, so it's a screenwriter's dream. I would add a bad screenwriter's dream. I, you shouldn't just be like, great, I can write something and not explain it. This story is a success. Okay, three, a native villain or a native-inspired spirit that haunts the vicinity plays into stereotypes that have been around since colonization. The attitude towards native people as lesser than or equal to evil is reinforced. Four, people are afraid of what they don't know, and the general public is undereducated about native people. Five, guilt, specifically settler guilt. There's a fear that native people killed by European settlers might come back for revenge on their murderers' descendants. Okay, so these theories were detailed and written at length about in the article Digging Up the Indian Burial Ground Trope by Shea Vassar on Film School Rejects, which is one of my favorite websites if you're into uh, film and breaking down all aspects of it and thinking about it critically. I love Film School Rejects. Shay Vassar is specifically a really interesting uh, film critic and uh, does a lot of really great cultural analysis for that site and on her own Patreon as well. I just want to pull a couple pieces from this article that I really like. So um, Shay goes on to say, the most frustrating aspect of the Indian burial ground is that we're talking about a bunch of dead native people. And this adds to the incorrect narrative that all Native Americans are extinct. I'm here to tell you that we are still here, and I am evidence of that. We're not all buried in some unmarked grave, driving a stepfather to murder like in the Amityville Horror, or turning your dead cat into some sort of demonic being from Pet Cemetery. For the most part, we're working to fill the gaps where the American educational system has failed to teach about our existence and are attempting to reverse the harm from underdeveloped plot devices like the Indian Burial Ground. The Indian Burial Ground is a watered-down portrayal of Native culture as a monolith that existed in the historical past instead of the vibrant and diverse umbrella that the term Native American covers today. This isn't to say tropes can't be used correctly. I'm hopeful that eventually a Native filmmaker will use the Indian burial ground trope in a satirical way and point out some of the issues with it using new media. All right, so I really appreciate that article from um, Shay Vassar, and I will put that in the show notes. Elisa sent me another article in addition uh, with this voicemail. Uh, This article is from the Cincinnati Inquirer, and it's about a prayer group a Christian prayer group that confronted the members of the American Indian Movement back in December at the Snake Effigy Mound because the, uh, quote, Christians thought there was a, quote, dark energy coming from the mound. Philip Yenyo, the executive director of the American Indian Movement, told the leader of the prayer group, "'You need to leave.'" You have no right and no business doing this on a sacred site where our ancestors are buried. Yanyo went on to say in the interview with the Inquirer, This is a sacred site for us, but other people with other faiths believe that they have the right to go there and do their own ceremonies. In our opinion, they don't. It would be like me going into a church and doing my ceremonies in their church, disregarding and disrespecting their beliefs. Yenyo of Cleveland said that people with New Age beliefs and Wiccans also practice unwelcome ceremonies there. He goes on to say, There's still people buried there. This whole place is sacred. This is the problem with Ohio. There's no teeth and no bite to any protection for these sites. In his interview, the leader of the Christian group who went up against Philip Yenyo said, Quote, There's a series of mounds like this all across the Midwest. We believe that these are, for lack of a better term, dark places. I'm not calling Indians dark. This has nothing to do with Indians. We went there because we believe dark energy is released there. (sighs) Oh my god, I'm just asking everyone who's listening, to do a little critical thinking when it comes to believing certain places give off a bad energy, a dark energy, a disturbing energy. Just quiz yourself, just do a little mental check-in. Why do I think this way? Why do I feel this? Is it because this space is not my ancestor space? Is this the space of people who have different cultural traditions from me? Do they have different beliefs than me? Is what I'm experiencing really spooky, or is it just not how I do things? I'm begging you to just really engage yourself into some deep thought, some journaling, anything that takes a little bit of time before you rush up to somebody of a different culture, especially a Native person whose land we are all on here in America, and start harassing them. Because... Of course, this has to do with indigenous people. It's their land. It's their effigy mound. It's their burial sites. To say it's not is absolutely out of your dang mind. That's like if I pointed to a Catholic church and said, Ooh, there is some dark energy coming from that place, but I'm not calling Catholics dark. This has nothing to do with Catholics. It's just, oh my God, that statue of Jesus bleeding is so Spooky, I gotta do I gotta do some of my special cat prayers here, because I'm in a cat religion and I pray to kitties to get all this spooky energy out of here. And I just gotta get it out. Ooh, in this picture, this terrifying what do you call this? The light streaking in like this. Oh my god, stained glass with a man holding his head. This energy is bad, but it has nothing to do with you. Just get out of here real quick so that I can do my cat prayers here. All hail the tabbies. No offense if you pray to a different breed. Anyways, Elisa, thank you so much. I will put all of the things I talked about in the show notes. I appreciate you calling with that interesting information. As always, I want to hear your cemetery stories, burial mound stories, effigy mound stories, especially if you are a uh, native person and you want to share a little bit more about your culture from your perspective so it's not just Always uh, white women talking about it. Please, I would love to hear your uh, background, your experience. However, it's also not your job to educate white people. So if that is taxing and not fun, don't worry about it. Uh, But I do want everyone to know I'm always open to learning more. I'm always open to fixing my perspective, broadening my perspective. And I encourage all of you to take that curious aspect on as well uh sometimes it's hard to learn things about yourself or your people but um that's okay <laughs> life is hard sometimes we hear things that are not flattering about ourselves or the people that we love and then you just gotta accept it power through and try to get better all we can do is grow right okay thank you thank you thank you let's move on to our first yeek mail the subject line horror novels. Hey there, love the podcast. If you and other listeners are looking for a different kind of contemporary horror writer, I recommend the Swedish writer John Ejavady Lindquist. You may be familiar with his works from such films as Let the Right One In or Let Me In, He often takes familiar horror tropes like vampires, zombies, or creepy children and twists them in creative and disturbing ways. Seven of his books have been translated into English. My favorite is I Am Behind You. I hope that some people check out his books. Keep up the fun podcast, Joe from Minnesota. Joe, thank you so much. I uh, really love Let the Right One In. I love the book. I love the Swedish movie. I never watched the American version. However, I've had some people recommend it to me, so I will give it a shot eventually. I haven't read any of his other books, though, and I honestly didn't realize he's done so much. Um, And I would love to check out I Am Behind You. There's something about that title in and of itself terrifies me, gave me the chills. I've now checked over my shoulder twice. Um, Listen, I know I didn't say his name correctly. You know why I know that? Because I listened to it several times on Google to be like, I'm gonna get this right, I'm gonna get this right. Uh, Swedish tongue, very different from American tongue. I don't think my tongue can do the things that a Swedish tongue can do. Um, It's embarrassing, I powered through And I know that it's wrong, so no need to correct me. I would love to hear if there are other Halloweenians out there who adore his work, any other authors that you're into, please. I personally am not super well-versed in contemporary horror fiction, surprisingly enough. I know I've recommended to you Grady Hendrix before. He's sort of my go-to modern horror writer. Um, but of course, I want uh, more recommendations as do all of the other Luseo Lanterns in the land. So keep them coming. This was awesome, Joe. Thank you so much. And um, if you want to hear me do A full hour on Let the Right One In. I was on this really terrific uh, cinema podcast called Fart House, which is uh, about art house films and how uh, penetrable they are for the average viewer. And uh, basically their tagline is, we watch smart films so you don't have to. So if you want to hear me and the Fart House boys break down Let the Right One In, I will uh, put that podcast in the show notes as well. It was a really fun episode. A movie I love deeply and highly recommend if you're into foreign horror and uh, anything in the vampire category. Okay, now we have a really cute phone call coming from even further north than Minnesota.
2: Hi, Lucy. My name is Maya and I'm from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Um in one of your recent episodes you talked about uh cold Halloweens and uh it's really a toss up if we're gonna have a nice fall day or if we're gonna have basically January winter uh during uh October and for Halloween. So uh it's usually colder out. So my mom one year when we were little made us these little wolf costumes uh out of you know play fur to keep us warm so we could put a snowsuit on underneath them. Lo and behold, of course, it was the warmest Halloween we have ever had, and uh, we ended up sweating the whole way around the neighborhood, and my mom was just laughing because she's made these perfect costumes for a cold Calgary Halloween, and, you know, instead we're, you know, having basically tropical weather in the middle of October or at the end of October. So, uh, uh, it made me laugh quite hard, and I thought you would appreciate that story. Thanks for all you do in the podcast, and I really enjoy listening to it. i uh, probably call back to them with another story. Have a good one. Bye.
0: Oh, my goodness, Maya. I just love that story. Thinking of you as a sweaty little Canadian wolf just panting around while trick-or-treating is just it's making me giggle so much. Do you have pictures of your little sweat-drenched face in a wolf costume? Because I would love to see it. Um, your story, oh, and your mom is just so cute too. Like I'm on top of it this year. Like this will be the year that my children are warm and then it totally backfires. God, what a bummer. Um, your story reminds me of when I dressed up as Linda from Halloween, uh, PJ Soul's character uh, in the 1978 version. So it was, this was a Halloween party uh, that was like seven or eight years ago. I was an adult. Um, I went with my ex, who was dressed as Bob the Ghost, uh, Linda's what she thinks is her boyfriend, but is actually Michael Myers as a ghost. Anyways, um, both of our costumes were sheets, made of sheets. I specifically had mine wrapped around me, like somebody who would just get on getting out of bed and taking a phone call. Um, and I had like a little tank top and a little shorts on underneath, but it was so hot. It's always so hot in L.A. It's like 100 degrees. So I've talked before about how I think that sexy costumes actually originated here in Los Angeles because we are the hot Halloween capital of the world. Um, sexy costumes aren't really for me. I like to go the more uh, scary route or like I've also said in the past, uh, needlessly, uh, niche, (laughs) constantly prompting questions from people. This was one of those costumes. Uh, so I'm at the party all night in, in what amounts to be like a pigtail in sheets with like a telephone cord wrapped around my neck. And, um, eventually I decided to go home, uh, before my boyfriend at the time. And we lived just a few blocks away. So I walked home And it started raining while we were at the party, so I'm walking home in the rain with a queen-sized sheet wrapped around me, and it's getting heavier and heavier, and it's like getting soaked with water, and now it's cold because it's raining, so I I don't want to just be in the tank top holding this big ball of wet sheets, so I'm like kind of wrapping it around me still, it's soaking wet, it's dragging in the mud, I'm pulling it up, and then I've got mud on me, and I just have these two soaked pigtails and like this rotary phone, and... It was such a sad feeling, like walking home dejected in like half of a couple's costume, soaking wet, covered in mud with old technology. It just was a lot. Anyways, I would love to hear about other people's Halloween costumes gone awry. Halloween costumes falling apart thanks to unexpected weather is certainly a mood, and I'd love to hear other listeners' stories. So thanks again so much, Maya. Um, It really just is such a cute picture in my head of this experience, and I love that you have this sweet memory of it. So please, if you've got pictures, let's see them. And um, I've got another weather-related trick-or-treat story here. Uh, This one's an eek male. So, the subject line is Blizzard of 1991 Costumes. I, too, remember the Blizzard of 91, as mentioned recently on your show. It hit the whole Great Lakes region. Most kids always wore warm costumes in my town due to the weather that time of year. But in 1991, even a warm costume wasn't enough. I remember having to go out in my warm wool wizard costume wearing a heavy winter coat over it. Aww. Everyone I saw out trick-or-treating that night was wearing coats over their costumes. It's just not Halloween unless people get to see what you're wearing. So at every door, I would quickly open my coat to show it off and then quickly close it again. It seems everyone had the same idea. I saw other kids flashing their costumes like this throughout the night. The adults found it hilarious. I wasn't old enough at the time to get why, but now of course I do. We were all quickly opening our coats like flashers, showing off our costumes instead of our birthday suits. We even did it to each other, passing on the sidewalk to show our costumes to the other kids. God, that's cute. Just a quick flash and then bundled back up again from the cold. I remember when I got home, my candy was frozen solid. I had to wait for it to defrost. It certainly wasn't the best Halloween, but it sure was a memorable one. Longtime Lucille Lantern, Chris. Oh, Chris, this is such a cute story. I wonder if you can hear the smile on my face. This is just, oh, Chris, this story has everything that I love about Halloween in it. Just. Just the earnestness, uh, the the pride, the excitement, the like nothing is going to hold us back from a special experience. I, I mean, having grown up in the Midwest, this just feels so much like my childhood, even though I don't really remember if we got hit with the blizzard in 91 in Cleveland, but we were on the Great Lakes, so we must have. I was just really young, so... Um, I didn't internalize it, but thank you so much for this. It's just such a cozy and sweet, pure, wholesome story. And uh, just the idea of like, I'm picturing like a chunk of candy all frozen together in the shape of like one of those plastic jack lantern trick-or-treat buckets. <laughs> and it's just so funny to me, like chipping off a Snickers (laughs) because you're like please and then breaking a tooth on it clearly I'm imagining an entire scenario here that you did not describe but I'm just having a ball with this memory so thank you so much Chris again listeners please I love your trick-or-treat stories I love your trick-or-treat pictures keep sending them in I actually got a ton of them recently through DMs on Instagram which are great Um, I'm just kind of getting through all of them still so Feel free to resend anything if you think I have missed it. I'm not purposely ignoring anyone, and I'm excited to boost everybody's uh, stories and memories and pictures, and I love sharing all of this with you guys, so thank you for sharing it with me. If you would like to share your stories of trick-or-treating, DIY costume fails or successes, local cemeteries, or pop culture recommendations, please call in to the All Hallows hotline at 802 532 dead or write me an eek at it's always halloween podcast at gmail.com as i said at the top of the episode if you love it's always halloween please subscribe at patreon.com slash it's always halloween or you can make a one-time donation over venmo using our email address which is again it's always halloween podcast at gmail.com You can also support the podcast by buying It's Always Halloween merch on Redbubble. That link is in our show notes and our Instagram as well. This episode of It's Always Halloween was performed by me, Luce Tomlin Brenner, and uh, contributed to by all of you. So thank you so much for your contributions. The editing, the music, and sound design is by Pete Burns. Thanks, Pete. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at LTBComedy and Pete at Mittenberries. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe and write us a little review so that other like-minded ghouls can find us. I want to share a new one that we just got from Chicken Lips McGee, an incredible name friend. Uh, The subject line is fantastic. This is such a great podcast, thoughtful, well-researched, always inclusive, always open to learning more. If you love Halloween and all things related to it, this is the place for you. Thank you so much, Chicken Lips McGee. And um, thank you to everyone who has left reviews. And it really does make such a huge difference. It's free. It's quick. Uh, You can write anything as long as it is nice (laughs) or or thoughtfully constructive nothing mean please i'm kind of gentle okay guys that just about does it for it's always halloween thanks so much for listening and come back next time unless you have a costume malfunction